At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Psychobetical Podcast. It's me, your host, Andy Kirkpatrick. Um, yeah, sorry, it's been a been a while since I did my last uh, podcast. I think it was before Christmas, and uh, uh, I think when I came, I think when I came back from being on tour, for some reason I was feeling a bit a bit sort of flat. <laughs> I guess you call it. So I was like, I was not feeling very in- inspired to 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 do anything. So um, and then I got I got a uh, the the C word. I got a C word at Christmas, uh, along with everybody else in the house. So we were all even like Noah. So it was like it was funny. You could see the the, <laughs> the impact of getting COVID on all the different generations. So in the house is like a one year old, twenty year old, thirty. Six-year-old, fifty-year-old. So it was. Uh, so Noah, who's like one, he had, he was like ill. He had like a temperature uh, in the night, and then then he was completely normal next day. And then Ewan was like, he was just, he was just ill like Saturday, Sunday, and then um, and then Vanessa was ill, probably like sort of, you know, she was probably ill for about a day or something, day or two days. Then I was like, I was like more ill, and um, <laughs> I was like in bed. I was like, I was feeling quite ill, and I was like laid there, and uh, and uh, Vanessa's like not very. She's not very. Um, what's the word? Um, compassionate. So she just she just sort of came in and like opened the curtains and was like doing her hair or something, and uh, then she then she looked at me and she was like, oh my god, I think you look like you're gonna die, and I was kind of just like just feeling like I was going to die. And she, <laughs> she's like, do you want something to eat or drink or something? I was just like left there to die in bed and out uh, of neglect. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> maybe, maybe uh, <laughs> bring me an apple. <laughs> and she was like, oh, fucking hell, you must be dying. <laughs> Who wants an apple? I don't know why I wanted an apple. I think it was, I think it was like uh, you know hallucin- hallucinating or something. Thinking it was uh, something else, 
vegan. Get me some. Get me some. Uh, some some non meat. Get me a non meat beef bag or something from McDonald's. Vegetable base. Get me a vegetable base snack or something. So um. So yeah. So that was that was funny. So yes, I've been I've been meaning to do a a, a podcast. So I uh, think I should do one. I've been sort of bu- I've been busy trying to update my uh, update me myself and I. So I've just been f- uh, f- fannying on with that. I don't know why it seems like really pointless doing. It's like if you if you're gonna put if you're gonna put time to something, you should really put time to something. There's got mass appeal, so it is a kind of pointless doing it like a book about soloing. So uh uh I guess it's just I don't know. I mean I was just, I've been doing some fiddling around with all quite a few like books and things because it's not a Kindle version of me, myself and I. So I'm gonna I'll try to do the before I do a Kindle version, I might as well re rewrite some of it. So there's like a lot of spelling mistakes in that book, so I'm gonna try and um feed it through Grammarly or something, trying to sort out what some of the grammatical errors. Um so yes. Uh so yeah, so what what is, what should I talk about today? I have got some I have got some uh questions. Um have I got any other have you ever got have I got any other stuff? I've had lots of um it's funny when I don't do a podcast for ages, I get quite a lot of uh I get like emails from people. <laughs> Asking if I've been <laughs> if I've been cancelled or something, uh, like Joe Rogan, you know, lots of people. Um, Roy Chubby Brown has asked for all his songs to be taken down off Spotify. Um, so no, I've not been cancelled. Just I think most people, you kind of you kind of you kind of cancel yourself, don't you, or something? Like someone was asking me why I'm not on um, sort of Instagram and all that. Stuff. I have actually got like an Instagram account. Because uh, Ella, my daughter, <laughs> set it up for me, but um, but my old Instagram account and why why I don't do that anymore. And I was just, it is it is you can you can either have this like conversation about how terrible it is and it wastes all your time and all that kind of stuff, but it is a bit fun. It's a bit like someone who's asking why you don't do Fight Club anymore, and they're like, oh, because basically at the end of the day, I was just like in a pub car park like beating people you know having a getting beaten up by people and uh getting beaten up by people is probably quite probably quite good fun so yeah i had had an interesting email interesting message from someone who was saying uh uh that you've been listening to all my podcasts one after the other like in one big mega mega dump of podcast podcastingness and and it's, it's interesting if you just listen to the same podcast, like over and over and over again. Not the same podcast, but the, if you listen to all the content of somebody, you just hear the same anecdotes, um, or you know, repeated again and again. And uh, that is, it's kind of impossible to do that because, like, often I can't remember if I've had a conversation with you on this podcast or was having a conversation with a real person in real life. So you just have to just not think about it and just, just. Uh, <laughs> just repeat repeat yourself but anyway it was interesting he said that i often bring up um class quite a lot in uh in my my class um in my podcasts and, and growing up and that kind of stuff and i suppose I, I suppose to defend myself i think that i think class is something that is one of the it's kind of been sort of disappeared from uh from conversations or trying to understand 
anything in life. Um, and it's actually, I think it's like probably the most important thing uh, in in society is is where you where you begin. Like we're always always talking about like gender and um, you know minorities and and all that kind of stuff, uh, race. But not all that's just bullshit. Doesn't that doesn't mean anything? That's just like you know, it's not the <laughs> it's not the icing on the cake. <laughs> if the icing was made out of shit, that's what it is. It's shit icing on the cake. Um, but really, it's, it's not. It's not about um, class and stuff. Is not. You shouldn't use it as a weapon to like, you know, like hit people over the head who are not, you know, weren't as fortunate as you were. But it is quite a good um, filter to or like lens to understand why you're an ignorant fucker and you don't understand anything or whatever. Um, so yeah, <laughs> or you've never had garlic or whatever. Or you eat pot noodles. I think pot noodles are nice. All that kind of stuff. So it's quite interesting to. I think it's a very good. I think it's a very good thing to think about, like your, your, your tribe, what what class you grew up in, and especially if you want to try and uh, elevate yourself into some something else. So, so yes, I do apologise. Now, 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 I've, now, if someone said that, I'll, I'll, I won't say it again. So, um, uh, so anyway, I've got, I've got a few, I've got a few questions here. Uh, uh, that some people have sent us, so I shall shall read through some of these. I'm, I don't really know what they say, but I'll just I'm, go, I'm going like it's it's live live podcasting. So, so hi Andy, I owned a copy of Me Myself and I, and I was la, 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 can I pen? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so quite a few people ask about buying books. Is this person wants to buy a book uh, direct from me? Uh, I don't I don't I don't sell books direct because it's like the postage from Ireland, for some reason, it's like super expensive. So, and I can't be asking to the post office. <laughs> so, that, anyway, so um, I also have some questions on winter big wall soloing. Is it worth trying to make a multi fuel stove set up or stick with trying to keep gas canisters warm? Seems like a lot of a less faff and risk of setting anything on fire. Um, yeah, the. It's, is well both well both are very important either to make sure you if you know if you're in if you're in like sub zero temperatures the the you can have like a real pain with the gas and especially as the gas gets sort of less than half full um there is like a, a real massive drop off in like the performance of of a lot of stoves so you know you you, you really want you really want a stove that um you know, you really want to get the cooking done as as soon as possible, and uh, be you know be like as, as efficient as possible. Like you often, you can get to the, the stage where if you've got like shitty gas, very very cold temperatures, and not super efficient stove, you can get to this point where you feel like the water is cooling quicker than it at the same temperature that it's heating up in a way. So you can be sat there for like half an hour trying to like heat some. Um, heat some water especially if you're not using a lid or whatever so you know once you put like your your bare hands onto the gas which is not ideal or you can dip the the gas into some water or you can some kind of um have some system where you're you're passing the heat through some copper back onto the canister then suddenly the the thing will like spring to life and it'll be roaring away and uh you know you'll 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 do your your food very quickly like we we do people are kind of obsessed with how quickly 
as the stove is going to boil water. But I think you can get you can get a bit too carried away. But you just has to be efficient and boil it, you know, as quickly as, as possible. But you don't want to be boiling it to the where you're pumping out loads of carbon monoxide. Um, there is like so that that's the the so one thing is a carbon monoxide problem. If you're going to use like a reactor or a jet boil or any of these kind of sort of integrated stove pan cup things, you you've you're pumping out like a hell of a lot of CO two. So you have to really make sure your stove is um, very well ventilated. Like you're gonna have to you have to make sure any stove is well ventilated, but especially that kind that kind of stove because you will end up like you know getting carbon monoxide poisoning. So, um, you know, if it was like a, if it was like a very, you know, like a, a couple of days on some sort of winter wall, then, then it's probably just easier just to set up a, a system where you, you know, either buy a hanging, hanging setup for a reactor or a, um, you know, sort of cobble one together with some wire or something, uh, and just, and just use that. And I would definitely, like, I used to have a really good, it was a, it was a, um, what do you call it? Um, uh, a heat uh, heat exchanger, and it was actually magnetized, so it sort of fitted onto the side of the pan, the side of this of the Epigas um, canister. I think it was actually made by Epigas. It was from Japan, and then the the thing kind of fitting inside the flame, so it was like sending the heat down. So it was a really good idea. It was like aluminium with like a some sort of heavier weight material that was going into the flame. You maybe you could make something up like that, but you just have to make sure that the heat is kind of spread around. It's um, you know, you, you don't you don't want you don't want to be like superheating the outside of your canister because it might like explode. So anything like that is always kind of very dodgy. I remember Paul Paul Pritchard. I made him a stove. Uh, um, this what this like reactor? No, it was a bomb. It was called. It was like a Mark Hill stove with anyway, but it had like a it had copper that went through the flame and then it came down on either side around the around the canister and then it was held in place with some foam um like a foam sort of cup that went on the bottom of the canister so when it was hanging it worked quite well but he uh, i think he was using it like in the summer on like stronoladale or some scottish mountain crag and he said it was you know the 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 foam was melting and it was like dribbling on the on the portal edge or something so yeah, you know, you you really want to save those kind of things for when it's super cold. Now the the using a multi fuel stove, like I probably I probably wouldn't use a more well the only the only stove I'd probably use, what would be I'd probably tr maybe try and set up some system using a um, a whisper light. Um, I just use uh, I just use um, probably use, just use white gas. If you if you want a multi fuel stove like. You could use uh, petrol, but uh, white gas it would be better. And the good thing about using a stove like that, if you take an extra, you know, if you have more than one fuel fuel bottle and you also have like more than one pump, like take a spare pump, is it is kind of like an indestructible stove. Like with all the reactor stoves and all that kind of thing, that there there are, you know, they're not as robust as as a stove like that. You get problems with the gas canisters you get problem with the stove there's you know some there there's, there's loads of things that could go wrong with them and um so if you so if you were to build a liquid liquid 
um, fuel stove, like a whisper light. You could use like a whisper. Good thing about a whisper light. Like there are other there are other stoves, but for me, the whisper light is a stove I've used like for years and years and years and years, and I've used it for like multiple months on end. And they're very they're very tough. They're easy to easy to control. They're not like massively. You know, if you're a Michelin star chef you can have you can have a you're going to struggle with it but they're kind of easy enough to control especially if you just want to boil water which is which is what you're probably going to do if you're on a, you can have like one pan that you're going to boil all your water in and um, integrating into a pan like the good thing about like the xgk stove is you can actually just bolt the you can you can bolt the um you can take all the legs off and just bolt it or you could leave the legs on but you can kind of bolt the the kind of housing onto the bottom of a big a big pan, and then you can put your pan you're cooking on on the inside. So you could you could do all sort of all sorts of efficient things. But I'll probably what I would do is I would um, somehow try and integrate it into a into the bottom of a of a larger pan. But when you drill the le- instead of standing on the legs, you want to drill in some um, you know three to four. Uh, you know like some some bolts go in the side that the pan's going to sit on and uh i would probably i would elevate it like five centimeters above where it should be normally then that would that would help deal with the um all the co2 it'll just like it'll like burn it up a lot a lot more effectively so you could then have the stove working in like an enclosed portal edge or whatever with a reduced reduced potential of getting carbon monoxide poisoning and also with that kind of stove the fuel you know you can carry a lot of you can carry more fuel um it's less bulky to carry uh petrol like a like one thing of petrol uh you know like a liter of petrol of white gas would that last you like three days or something three or four days depends how efficient you are and when, you know the two of you in a portal edge but you can, if you if you're careful with it, it can last quite a long time where the equivalent um sort of gas would probably take up you know like twice as much room in like a in, in a hole bag uh if it's like really cold probably wouldn't be that cold you wouldn't be able to climb if it was this cold but like on sometimes you want to you want to make you want to keep the um the pump from those kind of stoves you want to keep them warm so you want to put them either in between the sleeping bags two people sleeping bags or you put them inside your sleeping bag in like a ziploc bag or something because they can uh the um the o-rings you can get like a, a very like a super cold version i think it's blue but the standard the standard red one the the o-rings can um a bit like the special why the special blew up but the o-rings can get a bit can go a bit weird so the so the fuel leaks out so you know so it's minus 40 you put your fuel you put your uh you know so it's minus 40 and you've just got and you've just left the 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 um the pump in the bottle and the bottle's lying on its side and you go to get it and what you'll find out is that the fuel has been leaking out onto the floor um from the bottle because the 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 o-rings have not been working um or the, the little ball thing inside it have not been they've shrunk or something in the cold so so anyway always always put the always leave the bottle upright so when you finish cooking i'd always like take the bottle off the stove and stand the bottle upright or take the take the pump out and then put the uh the lid on and put the pump somewhere else in, inside your clothing or whatever uh but another th- another good advantage is that you can 
run the stove inside the inside the portal ledge without a pan on it, and you shouldn't really produce it be producing that much CO two. So you could, um, you know, like the the Russians, I know because the Russians do a lot of gnarling big walls, like winter walls, and they struggled with these modern stoves and that they found that they. Um, you know, when it was really, when it was super cold, an old-fashioned stove system would be producing a lot of heat. So it'd actually get very warm in the portal edge. But the modern stoves, they were so efficient that there was very little heat escaping. So they were like freezing their asses off. So, you know, you can, you know, if you crank the stove up, you know, you can, you can't really dry stuff, but you'll suddenly, you'll find all the, the water start melting off in the top of the portal edge, like dribbling down, going down the sides. But you can create a very, you know, a bit of a, I wouldn't say it was cosy, <laughs> but it's, you know, it can take away some of the the grimness of being like, of the constant, the constant cold of being somewhere where it's just below freezing all the time, which can be kind of uh, weigh you down after a while. So, yeah, so my, my, ad, my advice would be to, to try and build a system uh I've not the, the the stoves I had as hanging stoves. It was the dragonfly because the dragonfly you can attach again the housing into the bottom of a larger pan that you you have to you have to cut a hole in for the for the burner to come through. And you want to, you probably want to use a I use a steel pan like a thin steel one like an MSR one. But you just have to get the pan seal fit together. You don't want the you don't want it to be too tight where the where the big the small pan goes inside. Need need some space around. Like if you want to make it super efficient, you could put like a heat exchanger on the inside of the large pan, and do it and do it that way. But you're, you know, it's getting more difficult. I did actually build a, an a, a whisk. Uh, it was a a dragonfly, basically integrated into like a a jet boil or something. I think I, I took that to Patagonia. I don't know if it how well that worked, but it was the. the 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 fuel bottle you you need to have some wire on the bottom and the fuel bottle kind of sits in the wire so you've got the the pan supported by the wires and then you've got the stove bottle at the bottom of it and then the fuel bottle because if the fuel bottle has to be like kind of horizontal so the food fuel feeds in and that's kind of sitting horizontal uh underneath the the, the burner uh and th it's good it's good to you want it, you got to be careful you you when you're priming it you don't put too much fuel out and the fuel you know like the classic thing is you you really need to understand how the stove works like if you if you let some fuel out um and then turn it off the fuel's still going to come out for a while and then you light it and it's like lit and then the classic thing is you leave the, the stove is actually on so the fuel is still coming out and it's not pri it's not primed so you you know, you light it and the it sets on fire, and then it then the fire gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and then the the fuel starts leaking out on fire from the stove down onto your sleeping bag or something, and then probably probably everything sets on fire. So you really have to be know what's which side is on, which side is off. Like you could probably write it down somewhere on the thing, but you just have to be really good at priming those kind of stoves. Like one one option is is to take a little squeezy bottle of methylated spirits and put methylated spirits onto the 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 part you need to prime which is the tube because what happens is the the tube has to get hot so when the fuel the liquid fuel is going into it it vaporizes because it's so hot and then it comes out as a gas 
So until it until it heats up, it's just coming out as liquid, and then as as it gets hot, then it, then it'll start vaporizing into a into a you know that's why if you if you turn the stove off for late, maybe like you know thirty forty seconds and turn it back on again, it just lights like a normal gas stove. But if you leave it for like five minutes, if you light it, just liquid comes out. So you, this yeah, like personally, because because I, I I feel confident using those a liquid stove. I would use like an MSR. Uh, um, stove and not a not a multi uh, an MSR uh, whisper light or maybe a dragonfly. The problem with the dragonfly is it's very it's very controllable, which is good because it helps you control the amount of fuel you use. But it's a little bit more because um, the the actual the control thing and the where the, the fuel comes in is actually quite long that piece of metal. So it's a little bit more it could it could more easily break if you. You know, if you're giving it a hard time, so what you you want you want to make sure your stove is kind of inside, inside the middle of your hall bag, <sighs> not safe. Or it's, you know, blah blah blah. Um, uh, have you got any beta on getting up and down over shrunds safely? Uh, that's a bag shrund to to, to to the layman. Um, and also how to haul bags up glaciated snowy approaches. So bag shrunds, yeah, bag shrunds are always a pain. Uh, like when you, if you're ever soloing, well, if you're soloing or you climb with somebody, often the getting over the bag shrund is often one of the the harder the harder parts of it. Um, and getting down over a bag shrund is also one of the it's often one of the hardest things. Like sometimes you get like a double bag shrund, which is even worse because you you manage to get over the first one and then you like end up falling into the second one. Um, so like a bag shrund is basically just like a crevasse, like a crevasse is caused by gravity that the the the, the glacier is traveling down the mountain, and a bergschrund is kind of the same. It's like where the where the ice joins the rock and the the the, you know, the glacier is moving down. The weight of the ice is moving down, so it creates like a big crack. So yeah, generally you always seem to. It's very rare. I can't think of ever not being able to get over a bergschrund. You always seem to be able to get over it. Um, Sometimes yeah, it requires quite a lot of like chopping, uh, and you might have to like go down, you know, down somewhere. You know, you know, you're often it's not the best to go across uh, right at the very top of a bag shrund. Like often, if you can, you can often like traverse across across a bag shrund, even if it's kind of overhanging and kind of chop into the bag shrund and like get across. Like sometimes a bag shrund, it's just you know, it's like oh, it's like twenty feet. Above you, so it's uh, you, but there's always a way. There's always a way to get across a bag shrunt. Uh If you were soloing, that would be that would be not 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 ideal. There's a really famous story about Thierry Thierry Renault, and he wanted to solo the north face of the the north face of the Dwarts. And I think only maybe only Stevie maybe Stevie Haston was the first person solo the north face of the Dwarts, like in the winter time. So Thierry Renault, he um, he he wanted to borrow. No, Andy Parkin had sold the North Face of Dwarfs, maybe, but he wanted to solo. He wanted to borrow Andy Parkin's scarf because Andy Parkin, when he did uh, Beyond Good and Evil, he wore this scarf, and Thierry Renault wanted to borrow it because he thought it was like good luck. So, so Andy Parkin said to him, like, if you're going on the Dwarfs, if you're soloing the Dwarfs, you should always take like three ice axes in case one of them breaks. Because in in those in those days, probably in the eighties, eighties, nineties, ice axes weren't that good, and it wasn't unknown for your 
pick to break. So I used to, I always used to have like a, have a spare pick in your, you know, in your uh, rucksack. And then I think when I soloed Null Fated Wats, I think I also had like, I had like three ice axes just, just in case. So I think by then ice axes got a bit better, but they did, they did sometimes used to break. So, um, so Thierry Renault like skis up, skis up from, uh, skis up to the North Face of the Dwarts and he, he, uh, did he ski up or did he walk up? Maybe he walks up or something. He like walks up and, uh, this is, this is a stupid story anyway. He walk he walks up and he gets to the bag shrund and he climbs, climbs over the bag shrund and the bag shrund on the Dwarts can often be quite, quite big. He climbs over and he starts climbing up and he's climbing up, climbing up, soling up. And suddenly, like one of his ice axes just breaks, like the head just like snaps off his ice axe. Probably had like a Charlie, not a Charlie Mars, I probably had like a Simon ice axe. Anyway, the, the head just breaks off his ice axe. He's like, oh no, like this is a sign, I must go down. So he takes out his other ice axe and he starts like down climbing. And then he suddenly slips and on the ice, because it's not very really easy down climbing, but it's like really hard ice. He slips and he starts falling and he falls into the bag shrunt and uh, he thinks he's going to die. And instead, he lands in this bag shrunt and um, and he survives. And next to him, there's like a pair of skis, just like someone must have thrown them in the bag shrunt. You know, some old skis when they have skied up and they start to throw them in the bag shrunt. Anyway, so they fit his they fit his um, his boots perfectly. So he clicks them on and he skis all the way back down to Chamonix. So the other, the other version of the story is he falls in the bag shrunt and he lands on the skis and the skis just clip into his boots and he like skis off down to Chamonix. So anyway, so the scarf was very lucky either way. So um, so uh, getting your whole bags to uh, to the bottom of the route again in winter is diff- very difficult. Probably the best way to do it is to get a get a pulk, uh, get like a like a, a kiddie sledge is a bit generally too small. You can buy a pulk for about a hundred euros, like a proper proper. Um, if you go to like Igui, um uh, Igui snow sled used to make them. Now Igui sells them. Um, it's just like a blue kids sled, but it's a heavy duty and it's it's a bit it's wider, it's more stable, and you can like strap things onto it. And that'd be that'd be well worth the money. Like if there was um, if the if you're going on like a, a proper big wall for a while, uh, if there's like a few of you, then you you might want one one each or something, and you basically. Uh, you know, put your whole bag on there. Now you can strap it onto your whole bag so the straps are on the top of the, the top when it's in the pulk. That means you can sort of put it on and sort of use it as a normal whole bag. And then when you get to a flat area or it's steep or whatever, you can just like put it on and pull it up. And you can actually you can actually pull a pulk up some very steep uh, terrain if you've got crampons and, and stuff for your skiing. So you can actually go up, you know, like 30 degrees sort of snow slopes and things. And, uh, uh, yeah, they're good. If you if like in deep snow, like carrying a you know like a forty kilogram whole bag, it's just horrendous because you just keep falling. You just keep going into the snow. Like you you think your feet go, you think your legs go deep into the snow when you're walking with hardly anything on. Like it's just a, it's just terrible. And uh, and a whole bag, you think it would slide quite easily on the snow, but it tends not to because it's just not the the the, the lid kind of like digs in now you could make some people have made these kind of if you look at um u.s army full uh, rollable um stretcher you know people have made those out of uh, polyurethane it's like plastic it's just like a sheet of plastic and you cut it the right way and you can like fold it around the whole bag and 
secure it and then it'll slide the end like is wrapped around the front of the whole bag it'll actually slide along and that that would be a quite a good option if you're going somewhere and you don't want to carry it like a pulk or sort of stuff with you but it is it is just a big it's just a pain in the ass uh you know like i think when we when we climbed like the the la fire on the drew i think i think we had to walk in maybe we did like two we did like two walk-ins so we carried all our stuff from the from the Grand Monte. We had to descend down to the glacier, across the glacier, and then climb up to the bottom of the Drew. And we had, we did that twice, and then we ended up uh, the the strap came off the bottom of the whole bag when we were hauling. We lost our we lost one of the whole bags and the portal edge, so we had to descend again and then replace those things and descend a third time. So, um, but you quite the Drew is quite good for that because you're actually kind of going downhill most of the way. If you're going up to like the the Grand Jurassic or whatever, it's a lot harder. Like the Eiger's the same. The Eiger's actually quite easy getting to the bottom of the Eiger. You just you kind of get the train. It's directly you know opposite. So you go you get the train up and you just kind of traverse around to the bottom of the bottom of the Eiger. But even then, if you're carrying a lot of whole bags and stuff, it's never. It's always just it's always it's always just work. So just just got to you know be willing to put in the the work to to get to the bottom. And once you like that's often like the hardest bit. You know, is uh, is overcoming all the reasons why you shouldn't carry on because it's too difficult and stuff. Uh, do, 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 any advice regarding getting kit to the? Uh, how do you hold bags? How to hold? Yeah, answer that one. Uh, storing kit. Um, storing kit at the bottom of a mountain. You always have to be careful in that if you get a big dump of snow, it's very easy to to lose everything. So uh, you have to watch out for like you know, like avalanches coming down and wiping all the gear out and uh, all that kind of stuff. So you generally want, if you're going to get, if you're going to go up to the the very base of the mountain, uh, you just not, you have to make sure that everything is clipped into something else. Like make sure all your bags are attached to something. You know, you've got the gear in the wall, everything's tied together. Don't just like leave it, you know, just, don't just leave it against the bottom of the crag and think it's going to be there when you, when you return. Uh, if you've got a shovel, always bring your shovel in last. Because if you if you got a shovel to dig all your gear out, but it's in the in with your gear, then that's not much use. Uh, like sometimes you can get like you know like tons and tons of snow coming down. So you know, so sometimes you, you might have to dig quite a long way to find your to find your stuff. Um, I know I know people. Some people have used like get one of those like apple apple things that stalkers stalking people use. Um, uh yeah like you can wand it but make sure make sure you make your wands really really long uh make sure you've got something in your gear that tells people who it who it belongs to in case you don't ever sometimes you you can't go back sometimes you just your gear just gets being left there so it's good to someone to know they might give you it back or something um i know people in scotland where their where their gear is basically kind of just got lost at the bottom of a route like it snowed so much that they couldn't find it when they got back to the bottom and they had to wait till like the summertime for someone to, to come <laughs> to come across it so it's good to have your your details in uh staying warm and dry on a winter big wall um staying warm the 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 hardest thing about staying warm on a winter big wall is for the b layer um so that's why sometimes you're better soloing or knowing how to solo you might be better just like the B layer just hanging out in the portal edge 
and not necessarily doing any climbing and reading the book while you like solo solo pitch, especially if the weather's like really really terrible. So, um, you know, the the other thing is like if you've got two belay jackets, like the belayer wears both belay jackets. It's worth thinking about taking kind of belay trousers. Uh, um, you can buy very cheap, like our your U.S. Army Army surplus. So there's all sorts of Army surplus, like padded insulated trousers. You know, like puff puff kind of trousers that you could that that'd be that'd be good for belaying. I'll just make something. Um, the bothy bag is good if you're belaying. You can put it over yourself. It'll make you a bit warmer. Um. Uh, yeah, staying staying dry on in on any kind of winter expedition, camping, big walling, whatever. The main thing is you you want to just be always be brushing all the snow off you. So when once you're going from the outside onto the inside, if you're going into the tent, going to the portal edge, whatever, you just want to be you just want to brush all the snow off you and uh, make it make sure that the that you've got like a you get rid of all the snow before you start taking getting your sleeping bags out or putting the stove on because once you put the stove on you're going to start everything's going to start melting so you just you just have to be very very good at being super scrupulous about cleaning all the snow off the soles of your beat all the soles of your boots so having a brush is very important uh like if you're doing if your weight's not too bad not too bad you know bring like a proper brush like a proper like you know hand brush kind of thing but it wants to be kind of stiff because you want to get the the snow off your boots and stuff but yeah but really you know but you have to be kind of really obsessive it's like when you get into a sleeping bag you always want to make sure you don't have any ice in your zips because because often there's the ice will melt out in your zippers and then they'll like wet your clothes out and stuff so but you're always you're always going to have some degree of uh wetness and uh dampness and stuff like having having good quality boots is 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 vital having good mitts is vital but you will, you will get cold. You probably will get cold when you're leading, but but you are like if you're depends what kind of wall you're doing. If you're in like a a wintry wall where it's very slow, uh, you know you might want to you might want to take a lot more clothes than you'd wear if you're going ice climbing or something. So you yeah really really you know where we wear. I guess um, what would I wear? I guess I'd wear. I guess I'd have like the sort of fiber pile, Pertex layer, and then if it was, I might I might wear my Beely jacket if it was like really really cold, and then I'd probably have some some sort of thermal underwear or whatever. So maybe maybe not that many clothes, but it's just how it's just how efficient your clothes your clothes are um, you've got. So uh, you just you really have to do it to know how to do it, I suppose, um, and uh, have a very good sleeping system, sleep mag system. Uh, either either one really really warm synthetic sleeping bag like the warmest sleeping bag you can find or a warm a warm synthetic sleeping bag with like a down sleeping bag on the inside so, so that might be a little bit lighter but uh yeah you do you just you got to have a, a sleeping system where you don't you you know you're not um just dreading the nights you know you need to have a system where you can get in it and you'll all your clothes will dry and you'll be happy and uh, and all that kind of stuff and uh, not too miserable. So, yeah, so good luck with that. Tell us how you get on. Uh, what's this one? Um, fishing for some advice on running in winter shirts. 
Biggest issue being excess moisture buildup on skin, touching fabric, whether it's a waffle fleece, merino base, or synthetic weave. I've experimented with all with all over the years on cold winter mornings in the Chilterns. Uh, just can't get something that wicks away my sweat fast faster than I produce it. And secondly, that pulls it far enough away from my skin that when it cools, it doesn't feel I don't feel the wet patches against my back, under my arms and chest, thus not make thus making me colder. Any windproof material over said fleecy fabric adds to the effect as it seems to cage in the moisture. I'm thinking best option is to sew up a single one layer of tufted fleece material, body hugging, tailored to fit that air sucks sweat for away from the skin, transfers it to the outside layer, does it fast enough to keep up the sweat rate, uh, uh, thick enough that it can't store a certain amount of sweat within, keeping said cold sweat away from my skin. Uh, what are your thoughts on any material for this? And secondly, would a layer of cotton absorbent material lined on the outside of the garment mean that sweat is pulled away from the skin through the pile fabric and absorbed stored on the outside of the garment uh, at the cotton layer? Um, I think one thing it's always good to do when it comes to the outdoors is don't have too high an expectation of ever being like 100% comfortable. Um, like you just got to think like, well, I'm not hypothermic. Uh, that's, you know, and then like, well, I'm not like really, really, really cold. And then I'm not, I'm not cold, you know, and then he's a, at the very, very bottom of it would be like, I'm not, you know, I'm completely comfortable and I'm not, I'm not, uh, I have no dampness. I feel dry. Like I'm sitting in front of the telly, watching the telly or something in a nice centrally heated, heated house. As soon as you as soon as you go out like running or skiing or walking or climbing, you know, you're gonna start generating sweat, you're gonna start generating heat. Um the better the better you are at of understanding what all your clothes are doing. Uh and also especially that a lot of clothes actually make the situation worse. Like if you're transitioning from your car to walking to the top of a mountain. You know, often the clothing you put on when you leave the car are not designed for going up the mountain. They're designed to 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 give to make you feel like you're still in the car. So you know, you put like on a big fleece, and then you're waterproof, and you've you know, on all that kind of your hat and your balaclava and your mitts and all that kind of stuff. You'll start walking, and within like a hundred meters, like you're sweating your ass off, and you're having to start taking everything back off again. So, so the more you, the more you. The more you do, the more you know what to expect, and uh, so I, you know, you don't want to be walking up the hill, uh, freezing cold. You know, you you're like, you know, I'm freezing cold now, and I'm working really, really hard. You know, the wind is like blowing through all my clothes, and you know, this is not this is not comfortable. You know, you know that as soon as you go off this trail going up the side of the mountain, as soon as you hit the the ridge leading to the summit. That you're going to be directly in the wind, and you're only going to get colder. And you can you can maybe go a bit faster and try and generate more heat or whatever. But you uh, you know the more you've done it, you're like actually, if I just put a windproof layer on, no, I don't need to put a big fleece on. If I just put the windproof on, that'll block the wind, and then I'll generate enough heat. And then you might then when you hit the ridge, you're like actually I'm you know like the wind is like really really cold. The air temperature is very very cold. 
So I'll just put this like Gilet on or something, or like like if you if you if you know how to how to move and how what to expect, you can put on your your fleece and your down jacket, and you can start walking up the same mountain. But you just go at a pace where you never get hot. You know, you you adjust your zippers and you you know speed up and slow down and all that kind of stuff. And you so you can you can do it. You can you know you can wear a lot of clothes and kind of break. The rules of dressing appropriately, but what's the what's the thing you start off cold, you know? <laughs> that saying it's a really good saying, but it's like basically start out warm, sweat your bollocks off. Start out cold, you know, sweat your bollocks off. So, so that's so yeah. So having if you're going to be running and you're sweaty, you know, like fit fit people generally quite sweaty uh, for some reason, and uh, and unfit people. So the you know, you're always going to be generating sweat. So you're trying to maximize, you're trying to minimize the discomfort and the chilling effect of that sweat. So the number one thing to look at, in my experience, would be you want something that, the um, you basically want something that, that dries as quickly as possible and pro- and absorbs the least amount of water. Because no matter how much something wicks, if it's like piss wet through with your sweat, it's gonna be it's gonna be cold. Um, so you want something the best the best way to make it absorb the least amount of water is it wants to be hydrophobic, so it doesn't, which means it doesn't like water, it doesn't absorb water. And you also want something that's as that's um, got the least amount of density as possible. So of those things, the thing that the, the most obvious one is like a Brynja top, which is polypropylene so polypropylene is plastic basically the plastic top um basically a string vest you know so maybe like 90 percent 90 percent of the of the of the top the the you know t-shirt is just air it's just so the air you know the, the the you can increase like the the um the moisture content of the air in the little you know string vest holes uh, but that'll just be sucked out by the wind or go into the next layer very quickly, and then the you will you will get some moisture on the surface of the polypropylene. But as long as your skin is retaining its heat, then that will like dry very quickly or dribble down, or it'll, it'll go somewhere. So, so but but you'll always you're always gonna even something like that, uh, like even if you were even if you were naked. You're gonna get sweaty, and you're gonna feel the sweat. You know, you'll feel the wind on your. I've not been running up any mountains naked recently, but you know, if you come out of the water, if you come out of the sea, if you've been swimming and it's cold, you know, you it's fucking freezing because the 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 moisture, you know, the water on your body, you know, it's like cooling you off super super quickly. So you're always gonna have some of that. You're gonna feel like the like the the more like in the in your message, the more the tighter the the clothing there's it means that the you know so you've got some you've got a piece of material against your back which is like and the moisture in it that's come out of your body the sweat is at a temperature of 37 degrees so although it's sweaty and although it's wet if it's the same temperature as your skin because your skin is heating up the is heating up the moisture like the moist the sweat came out at 37 degrees and it's and it stayed at thirty seven degrees because your your body is retaining it, keeping it keeping it that 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 temperature. 
And ideally, what it's also doing is pushing that sweat away from you. Your heat is going to dry out that material, your body heat. Like, you know, body can dry is, is a very effective machine for, for drying material. But what happens is when that material like uh, moves away from your skin for even just a few seconds and then blows back onto it, the, the, the moisture in that material might now only be 20 degrees uh you know and then then it'll then it'll hit you and you'll feel cold and it'll feel wet and you'll feel clammy and that's you know and if and if your body starts dropping if your body skin temperature starts dropping you know you'll your your skin as your body like if, it, if your body temperature doesn't have to drop very much like one degree and you're going to be hypothermic anyway but you will your skin temperature can drop your skin can get you know much colder if you see so core temperature have to drop by one degree but as your skin temperature starts dropping you less able to to warm up the fabric there's that famous famous uh, ed drummond when he went to solo north america wall and he and he was in a storm for like a winter storm for a long long time and i think he had to end up eating his sleeping max and have any food uh <laughs> but there's a bit in it where he says he farts and like the that came out cold and that was that was that that was the thing that really really scared him because his body was so cold anyway so yeah it's probably a bit like pissing yourself because you're uh they'll tell they'll tell this story they'll tell this story uh maybe 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 since i've maybe i've not told this story but i, I was you often like i'm i'm looking after my son like um two or three days a week because vanessa's like doing sort of supply teaching and things because she doesn't want a proper job and so I often push him over to where his, his grandmother lives in Galway. So it's about like a 20 kilometer, 20 kilometer round trip. So I'll, so I'll, so I'll go there. I usually go by the, by the coffee shop. So he's, a, he's asleep and I push him there and he gets the coffee shop and then he wakes up and I have a coffee. And then he has a, he has a bit of a croissant or something. And then we go to the park and then we go through Galway, go and see his grandma and he has his lunch there. And I'm drinking loads, drinking loads of tea, and then at like half past one, I start walking back to where we live. Um, and any one day, I was like, like because I drink a lot of tea. For some of you, I was, I was, I went through a phase where I was just like pissing all the time, and I was like, and so you, do, it's about so it's like ten k's walking back and pushing this pram, and I was like dying to have a piss. I was absolutely dying, but it was I just couldn't find anywhere. It's like on the longer main road, I just couldn't find anywhere where I could just there are this you know I was dying for a piss anyway. So it was, it was always a thing about like where can I go and have a piss. Anyway, one time I was I was walking back and it was absolutely just just like I think Gol Galway has is it like four foot of rain? It's like one of the wettest places in Europe. It's just uh, like insane. It's like you know two hundred and eighty days of rain a year or something. It's it's kind of crazy how wet it is. Anyway, so it was just like absolutely pouring with rain. And what did I have on my leg? I can't remember. I had on my legs, but I had. I think it, no, I just had my shorts on. I had my because it's so wet. I don't bother wearing wearing trousers because you end up with wet trousers all the time. So I just wear my Crocs and my shorts. Then I wear like something over the top. And I think I just had like a like a buffalo type shirt on, like a you know. Because again, like if you if you're pushing a pram, you're going quite. You you, it's, it's, you know you generate quite a lot of heat pushing a pram you know through Galway because I'm trying I'm trying to walk fairly quickly because I just don't want to walk around pushing a pram all the time 
So you, so I'm sort of dressed as if I was going for a run. So um, any of that was absolutely like my Crocs were falling off my feet because my because it was so my feet were just full of shoes are full of water and everything else. And I was, I was like dying for a piss. And I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna piss myself because like because it's because no one can tell and it doesn't matter. And I just and I just like pissed. I just pissed myself. And a bit like you know when you when you go caving or something or whatever is that called caving? Anyway, when you're in a wetsuit, it's a bit like that. And I was just thinking, I was thinking like this is so te- this is so terrible. Anyway, so I told I told my son about pissing myself. He's like, oh dad, that's terrible. That's that's a terrible thing. You shouldn't tell anybody about pissing yourself. Just walking down the street. And anyway, then so he's got he's now working at the supermarket, and he's he's not really far away. It's like ten minutes away. And uh, the other day he came back and he was like absolutely drenched like all his claws were just absolutely drenched and he was like i finally he said i totally understand now how, how you could piss yourself and not think it was a bad idea anyway so i'm getting off topic here so um you know if you piss yourself though and it came out and it was cold that would be a that would be a warning sign um so other so other other base layers which are very um are not very not very um not very dense would be the, the you know the classic one is like the heli hansen like a heli heli tech lifer i mean lifer um uh, base layer because again it's it's made out of polypropylene so you've got the same the same thing same material and but it's um but it's constructed in a way where it's like a string vest but it doesn't look like a string vest but it but it's working in a similar similar kind of way and then the the alternative thing is the if you imagine if you imagine both the the lifer and the the brinia and more space layers if you imagine like a shredded wheat um it's like that like it, the shredded wheat is against your skin so it's like got all the air inside it and all the fibers going backwards and forwards creating this you know very thin it's trapping a little bit of air but it's um it's trapping some warm air, and the warm air is helping to transition the moisture through and and out the other side. Um, but the alternative is like I think you've mentioned in your in your message is if you have a brushed material, it's um, it's more like putting a uh, a brush against your hand, or, or well, it's actually like putting fur against your hand. But you think of a brush, if you put like a you know a brush, like a hairbrush not come you know a hairbrush put against your skin is you've got this um thick layer which is trapping air you know where all the bristles are but the actual amount of that material touching you is very very small when you've got the tips of the the tips of the uh, the brush now if and so your skin your skin only has to, to warm the very tips of the brush it doesn't have to tip it doesn't have to warm the whole brush it just has to warm the very tips and once and once those tips at the same temperature as your skin, then you pro- you probably won't feel them. So any moisture, you know, the the amount of moisture the tip of a piece of this material, you know, can hold is is tiny, tiny. So that's basically how like a buffalo fiber pile works. That's why fiber pile is more effective than say like fleece because fleece is more like a uh, a wheat a, a shredded wheat not shredded wheat. Uh, yeah, shredded wheat. It's more like something like that, rather than like the the very very tips. So, an item of clothing which is 
like brushed polyester, like a brushed polyester top. And that would be something like a Rab Vaporize, Buffalo, um, uh, Tech Light. Um, there's a few, a few different people are making that kind of uh, thing. Um, and generally, it's got a shell on it. So the, sh the shell on the outside is, um, is like blotting paper. So Pertex or, or whatever material it is, is like blotting paper. So some 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 membranes, not membranes, some um, some shell materials would would basically be hydrophobic. So they don't actually want they don't like water. So even like a normal nylon shell, uh, generally, you know, the water isn't really wanted to the, the water doesn't really want to lay on it or go through it. It just kind of is repelled repelled by it. So, you know, like a proper, what you really want is this, um, this layer. So it could be the Brinia type layer. Or it could be like this brush polyester layer. And it needs to hit the, this layer that's acting like a blot, blotting paper. So, so it hits that. And then it's that molecule, those molecules of water, it'd have to be a, a, a drop of water is spread over, you know, like, um, you know, like, uh, how big is it? How big is a drop of water? <laughs> you know so like um you know one mi one micron of of sweat hits this material and it's spread over like a hundred microns of whatever that is whatever a micron is if you know what i mean just like a blot of ink or something so so as it as it blots out it's it's able then to be uh evaporated a lot a lot quicker um and if you if you if you get a glass of water and see how long it takes to evaporate it'll take you you know, a few weeks. Where if you spill the water on the table, it'd probably take a few hours. So it's that kind of it's that kind of idea. So yeah, so picking the right the right base layer and the right outer layer is kind of like if you have some kind of integrated system. So like the Rab Vaporize is an integrated system, but you'd have to make sure that when you bought it, the the Rab designer actually understood what you know the latest version might have like shitloads of DWR on it. So it's, it's, you know, they think what you want is a waterproof layer, but you, you actually want the complete opposite. You want a layer that, that absorbs the water. There's windproof, but absorbs the water. Now cotton is doing the same thing. Like if you, if you wear a cotton t-shirt over a, a Heli Hansen lifer or, or Brinia is, you know, cotton is the ultimate and wool, wool as well, like is, is going to absorb that, mo that moisture. But the problem is, is because cotton is quite dense, um, it's not going to dry very quickly. And once it becomes fully saturated, it's not going to absorb any more water. So it's it's very hard. It's very hard for one of these modern like Pertex materials to, you know, to become. They they seem they seem to just keep keep working because they can dry so quickly. Where the cotton, it just isn't going to dry. So, you know, so like the Antarctic Brinia clothing is wall on the outside merino wall and then this mesh on the inside and that's kind of doing that that kind of idea and you want to use the weather to you want to use the wind to your advantage i like don't just always see the wind as being you know like a, something that you need to avoid because the the wind is a perfect way of of sucking all that moisture out of your clothing so you know and also clothing where you can you know, push the sleeves up. So maybe you, the, you push the sleeves upon your windproof, but you leave your 
your you know your base layer arms long or whatever or you can unzip things and um you know like you try try you know try trying to make the most of the you know of all those kind of things like often you know if you overdress but then it starts raining and the rain is actually cooling you down and you're not getting too hot so you you know it's just it's just about when you stop with all these with all these kind of systems the 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 trial is like you know you're sweating your ass off getting to the bottom of a climb somewhere in the winter and you get there and then you have to put all your warm clothes on but you're just cold because you're your clothes are so so wet so that's why you know often you would like take off your base layer and just put some up a new base layer on if you like say you're going to climb ben nevis by the time you get to the 0.5 gully you've been chasing everybody up there is you could be sweating your ass off no matter how cold it is so that's why you would just like take your base layer off you'd have like a sacrificial base layer take it off put on your 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 climbing base layer and then off you go and you'd be, you'd be totally happy um so yeah, so I guess it's like maybe you've tried all these things. Maybe you're just a sweaty bastard, and you're just always gonna you're just gonna have to put up with it and stop whinging about it. <laughs> or maybe do you know maybe do something like like cycling is a bit like that, isn't it? Like cycling is a tough sport because you know because it's uh, you know you can get really cold cycling, but you're generating a lot of heat. But when it rains, there aren't really very good systems for staying dry when you're cycling so you put a waterproof on you're just going to get really really hot and sweaty so yeah cyclists i think, I think cyclists and runners in general you know pro proper runners are, are actually quite tough because they just they're depending on the 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 engine of the body like producing the heat on the inside to keep them warm so you, you always have to remember that nothing is warm you know no clothing is warm and it's all it's just it's just it's just air it's just like a bag of air you know the warmth is coming from inside you so um that's uh you know there is but there's always the there's always like like i would like i would say even you know in, in really cold place i've been i'd always i'd say i've like i only ever think of being really cold once as in i was dying of hypothermia um as in the in the mountains i've got a lot colder if i've been like kayaking and stuff but i can only think of really nearly dying of hypothermia once but then if I actually really thought about it, there was probably a lot of times when I was like freezing my ass off, but it it wasn't, it wasn't, I knew I wasn't going to die. It was just really, really cold. But, um, so yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe that's why short term, short, short memory is a good thing if you can do that kind of thing. So anyway, again, like see, see how you see if that, maybe that's all useless information, but, um, anyway. Uh, another question. I've always wanted a backless jacket, like 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 crotchless underpants. I've always wanted a backless jacket that I can wear while carrying a big pack. Perhaps a fleece or windbreaker modified to eliminate as much material as possible where the body meets the pack, avoiding all the sweat and heat buildup. The jacket would also be easily removable without having to take off the pack. Have you ever heard of such a thing? The only thing I've heard... Um, I've heard of vapor barrier clothing where you've got non-permeable layer on the back. Um, a few people make those. So the idea is that you don't get any sweat coming from your skin into your clothing. So if, say, you were wearing a, a down jacket, if you're going to climb 8,000 meter peak or something, uh, you don't want the sweat coming from your back into the down. So and so, so that's one that's one thing I've seen. Uh, the other thing is where you have 
uh, windproof front but with a mesh back and the idea is if you're cycling that if you you know you, you're going through the air you, you don't need a windproof on your back um probably <laughs> i don't really know i didn't have i didn't have one i think this company Kalange uh used to make them i think i got given one and uh, uh it's okay unless it's unless you the wind's blowing behind you then it doesn't work so well then it just kind of inflates the front of the jacket and you go then you might go too fast and get blown off the edge of a cliff um i would i probably i guess it's, if you want to make you yeah, you want to make something like that uh i'd probably maybe maybe i'd look more at getting just playing around with like 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 do you need to have a big fleece on if you're carrying if you're carrying a pack like that like a a pack that's heavy enough that you're gonna get sweaty like it, you generally if, unless it's like really really cold you can all you you know you you can get away with just wearing less clothes in general and if you if you're wearing less clothes that's less material to be absorbed to into the into the into the clothes less sweat to get absorbed into the clothes like something like a like a windproof gilet or or a what do you call it these days in you know, like a sleeveless top is actually a very good uh, piece of clothing because it's so thin it doesn't really absorb any moisture you know and and you could wear like a base layer a windproof gilet and then a windproof over the top like sometimes if you get two layers of like windproof material pertex it don't work so well but um you know, you could you could try with something like that. You could try, you know, some people put, you know, those, you can get like power stretch arm warmers. You know, maybe you'd put like, you know, wear like arm warmers instead of putting too many, too many clothes on your front of your body. Um, uh, yeah, I don't really, I don't really know. I think, I think with a lot of those things, it seems like a good idea until you try it. <laughs> then it's, then it's not, you know. It doesn't seem such a good idea, but um, you could probably expect some cycling company probably make something like that. Or you could just make you could just make it. But I think you always want you probably want something on your on your back on your back layer. Like the problem might be might be something else. That's not you might be trying to solve a problem that doesn't exist. Maybe it's the problem is is some other aspect. Maybe it's your your you're just very sweaty. Maybe we get lots. Of, maybe we get lots of people who are very sweaty. Uh, sending me messages so uh, next question um my name is brandon go brandon was it no uh go fuck you fuck joe Biden. fuck brandon anyway here it is hello my name is andy man hello andy and uh, my name is brandon and i've been climbing for a couple of decades i still managed to be pretty bad at it uh me too in spite of the fact that i have access to your excellent books thank you very much i have a question about setting up a rappel when you're above the anchors, let's say you're on the top of a wall and the anchor consists of two bolts with wrap rings. To reach the rings, you must go belly down and reach down, thread the rope. How do you get below the anchor to load it? I would appreciate any help you can give. Uh, and thank you for taking the time to read this. My pleasure, uh, Brandon. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, there's a... The, they know, like I remember in in Australia, climbing Australia, in the Blue Mountains, they often seem to be, uh, or ice climbing actually, 
when I've been ice, I went ice climb somewhere. Like all the anchors, I think I think you basically some places you're not meant to top out. You know, if you're climbing somewhere where you where you're topping out, and then you want to use the anchors on some other route to get back down, but they're kind of not designed for that. They're just designed for like lowering off. The anchors can often be too far down to get to safely. Uh, the, one of the most important things to understand, which most people kind of ignore this now, is if you say, say you can say there's an anchor and it's like two feet down over the edge of a over the edge of a cliff, and you're like, what I'll do, I'll just um, I'll just get a one twenty sling and I'll lock switch it onto my harness and I'll clip it in with a screw gear. I'll lean over, clip it into the one of the bolts. And then I'll just like climb down onto it. Is if you if you take a factor two onto a sling. So factor two is that you clip in. So the so the bolt the bolt is 120 centimeters from your harness. You know when you're out looking over the edge and you reach, you just clip the bolt. And as you and as you're climbing over the edge and you're now clipped in, you just slip off and you fall. You know that you fall 120 centimeters past the bolt. And then 120 centimeters down the end of this to the end of the sling, so you fall like 240 centimeters. Is there is a like if if you were to in a in a laboratory, if you go do this in your garden, if you tie 120 centimeter sling to the tree with a you know attach it to something, lift 70 70 kilo weight to 120 centimeters above where it's clipped in, let go of it, let it what fall 240 centimeters. The sling will almost definitely snap. If it's if it's a Dyneema sling, it will almost a hundred percent of the time the sling is going to break, which is kind of disturbing if you see it. Um, now, in in reality, that isn't always the case, and I think in reality it's probably rarely the case, but it can happen because the prob the difference is in the real world when you fall, you generally don't just drop into space. 240 centimeters you tend to like slide and slither and grab and whatever and when the weight comes onto your harness the harness has some kind of giving it your it compresses your hips there's all sorts of things going on and often that would just keep the peak force below the point where your sling is going to break so what's the, what's the sling break at like 20 24 kilonewtons i don't know is that carabiner but anyway it's um but it, but it, but in the real world, like I've taken like daisy chain falls like that, where you basically take a factor two onto onto a daisy chain. Now I've seen things like carab carabiners break, like the gates, the gate kind of being prized open, not breaking, but basically the carabiner bet like bending open, um, wires breaking, all all sorts of shit happens. But so basically, you just do not want to be doing that. You don't want to be. Yeah, maybe you're gonna get away with it and just being a lot of you know, like really rad yourself. Like your hips are gonna feel like you've just been run over or something. But you just don't want to be doing that. You don't want to take a factor two fall onto a sling. If you have a lanyard, say if it was a you know like a petzl lanyard, then a lanyard is is dynamic, more dynamic than a, than a dynamo sling. So you actually. You know, it's, it is safer, but even so, you just don't want to be. You just don't want to be doing that. Your carabiner might break or whatever. So, uh, with all these things, um, where there's rope, there's hope. So, what you want to do is just get the other person to belay you down to the to the anchor. Just get the rope out, tie into it, 
you know, the, like often you do, you won't actually have a bee layer. Um, you know, someone might just have to go and sit on the floor or or whatever. Like if if you haven't got any bee layer, then then you know, use the sling. You you know, reach over, clip the sling in. You know, potentially you're going to take a factor two fall onto it, but your mate is belaying you as well. So even if you know, say you're sitting and it's just like a a meadow and there's nowhere to anchor, like you beat your your partner goes and sits, you know, like twenty feet away, thirty feet away. You clip in, you scramble over, you you know, you get down, you get safe onto the thing, and then you can belay them, you know, you can belay them down to you over the edge or whatever. So uh, there isn't really, there's not really a hard or fast rule, but you know, where there's rope, there's hope. So just um, you know, just you know, just be just be aware of why you know why the anchors are why the anchors are you know placed so badly like generally on any kind of descent the anchors are always going to be like on on a ledge where you can just walk onto the ledge or they're going to be placed on the on the top with a chain that goes over the edge um so that's like if you were say you're sitting on a ledge and there's a there's two bolts with a chain and the chain are going over the edge uh you know what you want to do is you you know you get your ropes set up you put your brake you know you put your um your prusik onto your you know your your friction hitch as a backup you know your belay device on everything else and then you and then you take your lan- lanyard your you know sling whatever clip that into one of the bolts and you just physically you know climb over the edge you know hanging onto the chains whatever so you've got your backup, you've got your belay device on, you've got your lanyard, and you kind of get into get in, get in position, and then double check everything, then clip, unclip your lanyard, and then and then then go back down. But you just you just just don't you know don't kill yourself trying to get down to an abseil. You know if you if you're having to do that, you've probably missed an abseil. Like if you if you're looking down, like in Munaria somewhere in Aust- in Australia, you you could look down and be like. You know, bolt bolt belay, and you'd have to go down some death, death gully to get to it. But actually, the you know, there's a there's a belay above you. you just didn't see it where you abseil, you know, down a clean bit of rock. You don't go down some death, some death gully. So, like, generally, if someone's taking the time to put some bolts in, they they would have done it in a way where you're not going to kill yourself trying to get to them. Um, and if you can't get to them without killing yourself, then they're not meant for you. They're meant for, they're meant for someone just just uh wrap you know like lowering off or whatever on some on some other routes you always have to be careful of like bolts are actually very dangerous because they can you know you can get this kind of tunnel vision like oh my god there's a bolt over there that's where the route goes and you you know someone someone told me a story they were climbing in i think it was the calanks and he was climbing the guy was climbing up and he was on this bolt and he and he saw a bolt around the corner of this arete and he thought like oh that was where the route goes and he went. He, ten, he went around this corner. He was like climbing up, and he was doing these bolts, and it was like really, really, really hard. And he got somewhere, and he said, "Was he shouted to his friend like, take me there?" Because he was around the corner, he thought he said, "Take me off." And um, and I think he must have been like holding onto the rope. So the the climb, you know, you, you hang on a bolt, but you don't. If you got a lot of rope out, you often just hold onto the rope underneath, underneath the bolt, just so you you know so you you're holding yourself. And uh, and then he and then he started then he started doing the move and when he fell off he wasn't on belay and he took like a massive a massive fall down the down the route he survived but 
that's another thing is communi- communication. So yeah, it's, like, like I would say, it's good. It's good to you know limit the amount of talking if you can on a, on a, especially on a long route. Just just keep it very keep it very very simple. You know, like nothing like you know. Oh, I love it. Oh, I feel very safe up here. Are oh, you safe? You know that kind of stuff. Um. So yes, hopefully that was that was uh sort of some use branded. So hi Andy, I came to be. I know you've done various clothing experiments, and while cleaning some of my kit, hopefully for winter ventures, I started to think about the feasibility of adding down to my older jacket. I wondered if you had ever done anything similar or had any tips. I can see it being a bit of a faff and potentially become a feathery nightmare in addition to ruining a perfectly serviceable jacket, but it might produce a decent end result. So I would say 100% don't do it. Like once you open that, it's like it's like get to hell. Once you open those seams and those feathers start coming out, your whole house will be full of feathers. So if you if you got like a down product, like down doesn't if it's if it's of decent quality quality and you haven't got any holes in it, like the down is always still there. Yeah, I mean it's like what's the analogy? It must be an analogy somewhere. It's uh, it's anyway, it's it's, it's still there. It's not gone anywhere. But what it is, it's just um, just covered in human gunk and you know sweat juices and all that kind of stuff and old beer and whatever. It's all kind of like eh, like this. So you just have to you just have to. Um, the best thing to do is don't be shoving more down in there because the down that's in there is the right amount of down for, to be in there. It's just pointless putting more on top as well. So what you, all you have to do is get it dry cleaned. So if you're going to get your if you get it dry cleaned, I don't know what dry cleaning is, but it when it comes to down, it is very effective. Is it's just going to like blow? It's going to like comb all your down and blow dry it and shampoo it and all that kind of stuff. Is you'll get like a down jacket back and you'd be like, oh my god, this is not my jacket. This is somebody else's. I had a, mine was black and this one's red or something, but it's just black. Cause it's so dirty. Um, but if you're going to get it dry cleaned, you have to get it dry cleaned by someone who specializes in down products. Now, in like when I lived in Sheffield, there was, a, you know, like a really good, you know, shop that dry cleaners. At, I can't remember the call now. But if you if you if you if you ring up, you know, if you if you ring up, um, you know, if you look on the websites of most down producers, uh, they're going to they're going to have an address. For someone they recommend for doing down, I can't remember what was it down. Uh, anyway, but don't, but don't take it to an ordinary dry cleaners uh, because they might just fuck it up basically and just ruin your down jacket. Now the the worst thing to do is to like a what a, a sleeping bag. You shouldn't should never maybe da- big down jackets are the same because they have baffles inside them. The baffles are actually very fragile. Because often they're just made out of like insect netting, you know, like out of a tent. They're very, very thin. And if you've got like wet down in there, moving around in a washing machine, it can just like wreck. It can just rip all the all the baffles out. So, um, so yeah. So you know, the classic thing is you tell someone to go to this specialist down person, but they don't. They just go to like an ordinary dry cleaner, and they, it comes back like ruined. So, um, yeah. But I saying that I. You know, I have had sleeping bags dry cleaned 
in dry cleaners where they just said they could do it and they and they did a really good job. So I think after I think we had like two two sleeping bags, two montane sleeping bags that were you probably had like a year's or two years every night sleeping in them and they were like pretty pretty grim. And uh yeah, when they got dry cleaned they were like looked amazing and then, and then someone stole them. So yeah, um uh this is a so can uh, I've just started wearing glasses and this will be my first winter when I have to factor them in to my clothing. Annoying, I only have to wear them to read and without them I can't see a guidebook on map. It may seem like a trivial detail, but reading a topo mid-pitch or checking the map in a blizzard are critical. I'm interested in how you manage or switch between glasses, sunglasses and goggles. How do you deal with ice up specs? How does it all work with the balaclava hoods and hats? Do you use contacts and how and if and if so, how do you manage that particular minefield? Now, oh God, glasses. Now, now I used to now I wore glasses for years and years and years and years, and it became such a pain. Uh, I think after I went to Antarctica in 2014, I would just decided it was just too much of a pain. So I. I actually had laser laser eye surgery, which was um which was uh, very very effective. My I suddenly had like perfect vision and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, I think I <laughs> on an aside, I was you know when you go and when you have laser eye surgery, you're supposed to go, you go and then they're like um you have to bring someone with you, you know because I just thought you'd have to bring someone with with you, but I didn't bring anyone with me. So when my eyes, I had to go down to London on the train. Then the next day I was in Bristol. Uh, in the morning I was doing a talk in Bristol for like a private school. And then in the then I had to fly to Dublin uh, to, to for a blind date, kind of, with Vanessa, who is now my wife. And um, I uh, so attended for this appointment for, for my laser eye surgery. And he kind of, it's very quick. It takes like a few seconds you like lay you lay down. You like does lasers your eyes. It's not it's not painful or whatever. And then you kind of fiddles with them, fiddles so they does something to them. And then you then you get up and I was like completely couldn't see anything. Like I was completely everything was just a blur. And uh, and then he was like, "Where's your where's your person? Oh, I haven't got a person. And I'm gonna have to get to Bliss Bristol on the train. And I was like, "Fuck! What am I gonna do?" And Luckily, there was someone going to this to Waterloo Station or whatever it was with somebody else, and they said in a taxi, and he's like, "Oh, we'll take you to the train station." Like someone who's also got their eyes lasered. So, so I got to the train station and I got out of the taxi, and I was literally could could hard everything was just a blur, and I couldn't see the. I kind of managed to follow the sounds where the trains were, and I couldn't see the boards telling you what what trains were what, and I had to ask somebody, "Excuse me, can you tell me?" Where I'm blind, can you tell me where the train is? So I managed to get onto this train, and luckily someone met me at the other end who I was talking for, and it was just like that the whole the whole for several days. I had all these drops you have to put in your eyes, and then I got to then I managed to get. I remember I remember saying that the the doctor before he did the the thing on my eyes was like, oh, there's all these things you mustn't have a shower, you mustn't do all these things, and I was like. What about ha- what about having sex? And he's like, because I've got a got a hot day in in Dublin tomorrow night. And he's like, 
oh my god in all my years of doing this job no one asked me can you have sex and um so yeah i was just you know just i was just asking just in case um vanessa's a good catholic but anyway so none of that nothing like that would have happened so yeah so when i went, when eventually got to got to dublin airport and vanessa met me i didn't even i couldn't even see her it was it wasn't very romantic because i was just it was just a, someone there like a blurry person so uh anyway my, my eyes did get better eventually um and uh i did they did get wet i went i went i went hill walking it was a, a terrible i was walking around in it was like winter time in in uh wicklow mountains they had like sunglasses on it like i looked like uh, uh bono or somebody so so but it's only recently like only this year my my short my um of is it short sightedness long sightedness like I, I suddenly found it quite hard to read things in especially when it's dark um so close up things like reading a phone reading a you know whatever um so yeah so I've suddenly I've suddenly realized that I probably need to start looking at getting reading glasses and I did actually notice that I did think that, like, oh Christ, like if I was, if you were climbing and trying to look at a topo or trying to look at a message or something, you would be, or, read, or reading a map or whatever, it could, it could be really, really difficult. So I've not actually, I've not actually dealt with that problem yet. Um, but looking, remembering, so me, so it was like me, Ian Parnell, Andy Cave, there's quite a lot of people who wore glasses and actually quite a lot of people who, who wear glasses but just wear contacts. Now the only the only thing I can I can sort of think of like the problem with like contact lenses aren't too bad. But can you get I don't think you can get contact lenses for doing for what did, what did it say short yeah it must be you must be long sighted are you? So you like I know people have done things like they've they've had one contact lens in one eye and and not a contact lens in the other eye. So they they can read close up, but they can also see long distances. If that makes if that makes sense, and your brain just kind of works it out. And I I did actually try that, and it is actually kind of effective. It just seems a bit mad. You have to get used to it. Um, uh, I tried like wearing contact lenses, which you could last. You know, you could put them in for a week, but I really I just think it's a really bad idea to put something in your eyes for that long. Like your eyes are. You know, you don't want to go blind. Um, yeah, disposable contact lenses, I think, are the only the only option. And to just to buy a lot, you know, buy a batch of them and just put them in, you know, when when necessary, if you're going to go climbing. And then you just have to make sure you just don't, don't rub your eyes or whatever, and then they come out. Um, I guess you could, like, blow up your toppers <laughs> so they were bigger. I went to someone's party, and it was... They were massive friends of, um, they were massive fans of that band, Everything But the Girl from Hull, and I, and I, something like I managed to get the woman from Everything But the Girl, Tracy Thorne, to send a message saying like, "Hope you have a, you know, great wedding or something," and, but no one could read it because everyone was in their like late forties at this wedding. Like I said, oh look at this! It's from Tracy Thorne. I was like, huh? and they're all like holding the phone, like at arm's length, trying to read what it said and stuff. So, so yeah, I don't really have any like glass. Yeah, glasses are just a pain. You can get some stuff that that reduces fogging, uh, which you get for um, for goggles. Um, yeah, for 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 
you can put it on you post post put it on the inside of like um cameras for going under the sea and stuff. It's called like um seal wax or something. It's some something you put on your lenses. But for you know, wearing balaclavas and all that kind of stuff, it's just an just a nightmare. Like Ian Parnell was like really blind, but you know, he spent a lot of time just not having his glasses on. Or just you just have that horrible thing where you're always like looking through your glasses which are all steamed up and and everything else so it's yeah i think you just i think you just need to take up a different different sport i think something where you don't have to but like any any anything like running kayaking cycling anything physical um maybe fly fishing maybe fly fishing would be what what i'd get into and you could just have your little glasses where it's like half at the bottom you know you look down like a teacher you know, you do your flies, do your flies up, you know, with your, with your little glasses on. So I guess that's, yeah, I'm sorry, I've not really got a, a good answer for that. So, yeah, anybody got any 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 things about glasses, then, then send it in. Um, well, what time have I got? I need to, I need to have a cup of tea. Uh, okay, I'm going to, I think I'm going to wrap it up now. Um, so I think I, I will try and do another podcast. I'll try, I will try and get back into the habit of doing uh, more podcasts, the podcasts every week. And um, any good podcast recommendations? There was a, I was on this podcast recently, the uh, the Unconventional Soldier podcast, and I've just listened to one recently, and it was about the future of uh, nutrition in uh, for soldiers, um, which was someone talking about preparing food for people rowing across the Atlantic and all that kind of stuff. So I'd, I'd recommend listening to that because it's got some interesting stuff about about stuff. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> any books? Uh, I don't really read any books. Any, I, I watched that Nims film, no, the 14 Peaks film. And, uh, yeah, I, re- I, thought, I thought it was really good. I th- he's an intriguing character because he's it's like a lot. It's like me. Like, if you met me, if you'd read the stuff I'd written, then you met me and be completely different from the person who was writing. You know, like I sound like a, in my writing, in my proper writing, I sound, you know, kind of a bit morose and kind of intense and all that kind of stuff. Where if you meet me, I'm more like, you know, like a comedian or something. And I'm not like how you think I'd be. So Nims is probably a bit like that. Like he comes across in his writing as being incredibly arrogant and all that kind of stuff. He makes like Rinal Messner look like Pee Wee Herman or something but in the, I think the the documentary is it 14 Peaks or something he just he just comes across a lot a lot better like the real the real him I think I think maybe a lot of problem with those with people like not a problem with people like Nims but the Nims is living in is in a world where it's like it's like people play lots of golf no don't be hopeful to people play but you know we live in a world you know, where you, you know, when you're watching YouTube and those like videos come up at the start of YouTube, like, hi, if you want to learn about, you know, insider trading, you know, come on my course, blah, blah, blah. It's those people who are like these kind of car salesmen kind of people like, yeah, I'm the best, I'm the best mountaineer in the world and blah, blah, blah. And it's just, it, it probably works not so bad if you're American, but I think in, in Britain, um, it doesn't, it, it always kind of comes across a bit bit weird like everyone's everyone's human so but i think in the i think in the film it comes you see like his human side 
a lot more like he's not invincible and invulnerable and you know for for all how amazing he is he was also amazingly lucky and um you know so it was uh i thought it was quite quite good but my but my closing thought on nims is uh he's kind of um what's the oh, i forgot what the closing thought was it's basically he's not a man for the age really is he because he's uh he's it's like an it's an age where we don't celebrate people like nims like he makes the impossible possible but we really want people who make the the possible impossible if you know what i mean so it's so he's uh you know it's kind of we live in an age where everybody is um but being vulnerable is your best asset you know to be weak is to be <laughs> is to be strong and all and all those kind of things so it's uh you know, to be looked, you know, to need to be looked after and protected and all that kind of stuff. So, like, funny, I saw something on UK, like one one of my spies, you know, there was something on UKC where someone said I was like the the alt the alt right, the darling of the alt right or something, which I thought was quite kind of funny. And Howard said how the police, one you you need to live in a world where everyone's afraid of the police or something. I don't, I don't remember saying that, but I think you do, I think you I think you just need you need to live in a world where the Criminals are afraid of the police, that's for sure. So, but um, but yeah, it's, 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 there's because I've been going around with this baby. I've been going to round round to all these, you know, hanging out in parks with uh, all these mothers with babies and all that kind of stuff. It's amazing how many fucked up kids there are out there, like kids who can't talk and and kids who are just like on their foot, like you know, like babies basically, like on the on the phone, like on the screen and stuff, and uh, so maybe, maybe that's what, maybe that makes me all right. Like not, you know, like all these people who think their kids have got autism when they've just basically, you know, there's there's some auto in there, but it's not autism. It's like the way you automatically give them the give them your phone just to just to placate them and shut them up, and yeah. So it's so yeah. So it's um. I think I think my next next podcast. I wrote this thing it ages ago it was like well i just i did it was just like a day i was sitting in the cafe and i thought i'd written a thousand tips for climbing could i write a hundred tips just for life and i just wrote these like hundred tips down i think it was called don't don't take selfies or something so maybe maybe in my new alt-right to my alt-right audience listeners not that i don't think anyone can actually define what alt-right alt-right, <laughs> alt-right is but um then uh yeah maybe i'll maybe i'll go through that see if see if be quite interesting i think i wrote 2014 it'd be interesting if my older self looks back and it's like what a load of knobs or something <laughs> okay that was it for now until next time goodbye Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, 
we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.